Um, I need to start today, first of all, by just expressing uh, on behalf of Kathy and myself, uh, just heartfelt gratitude for all of your prayers for us and your support for us. If you don't know yet, uh, about two weeks ago now, we received the unfortunate news that Kathy's cancer has come back. Um, um, So if you haven't been with us for the last couple years, uh, about two years ago, we started a journey with stage three colorectal cancer. And they did chemo and they did radiation. And we had this really profound response to that, a complete response. And so for about nine months, we've lived without that cancer. But as you know, cancer can hide microscopically. And this cancer was hiding. And it has sort of come back with a vengeance. And so it's already stage three. It's about a centimeter tumor. And so we have a surgery scheduled for this Wednesday, February 28th, which is a huge praise because I thought it was going to be April or May, but uh, a day opened up in the OR. And so it's kind of a big deal. Um, And I'm up here to basically hold it together, preach a sermon, okay? Pray for me. Um, this This is a surgery sentence. It's not a death sentence. Um, and so, but I, I, I want to share a couple things and have you pray about a couple things. The first thing I want you to know is that I'm going to take about three weeks off and I'm going to be Kathy's caregiver. And so, are you happy that I'm leaving? <laughs> okay, thank you. I'll take that as not you're glad I'm leaving for three weeks, but okay. Um, yes, was basically the story with that is uh, being a caregiver is one of the greatest things I've ever done. And early on, when we first got this diagnosis, God was really clear with me, and he said, I want you to drive Kathy to every single appointment. I, uh, I never want her to say, I'm facing cancer. I always want her to say, we are facing cancer. And so I'm going to take three weeks and care for her. I, uh, I joked with the colorectal surgeon, hey, can we do a couple's colonoscopy? And she, um, she did not think that was as funny as I did. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean in. I'm going to care for her. And so I'll be gone for the next couple of weeks. And I guess what I would, I would say is a couple of things. This is a five-hour procedure. So please pray on Wednesday. Uh, they're going to disconnect her small intestine and create a temporary ileostomy bag. while they, And then they'll do the surgery, cut the cancer out. And then we'll pray for like that that's gone. It's gone. There's no more chemo. We're going to pray for that. Um, also pray for the surgeon. Her name is Allison Rotrammel. And um, one of the amazing things, right when we got the news, um, Kathy, her first prayer was, God, please, I pray that the whole medical team would, would encounter Christ in our sort of uh, countenance. And so we're praying for that too. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if they see the face of Jesus on the inside of Kathy's colon. I'm not sure. But pray for, pray for a miracle. Pray that the whole team sees the faith that we have in the light of the gospel. Amen? Okay, we're praying for that. If you, um, you want to follow along with this journey, we have a CaringBridge account. Just go to CaringBridge online and type in Kathy McMurray with a C, and I'll try to post updates there. Good? Okay, let's get into the word. Open your Bible, Deuteronomy 11. Here's what I want you to know. We chose the title of People at the Boundary for this series because we felt like that was a prophetic word for our church in these times. And here's what I mean by that. 
we realized, although a people at the boundary is a statement about the book of Deuteronomy, we have a lot more in common with those ancient Israelites than maybe we sometimes realize. And you've sort of discovered that as we've been preaching through this book. Yes, it was the people of Israel who were at the boundary of the Jordan River. Their boundary was a physical boundary, and they were waiting for God to lead them into the next part of their mission. Our boundary, River West Church, is a spiritual boundary. We're waiting. I feel like we're waiting on the cusp of something that God has next for our church. And in many ways, like the people of Israel, we've come out of a season of wilderness. We've been pruned. We've been through hard things. We've also been beautified by that hardship. And we're a new community now. And we're more united. And we're more on the same page. And not only that, most importantly, God's going to lead us into some new and amazing opportunities to bring Glory to Jesus and attention to the message of the gospel. And so it's a very pregnant idea, people of the boundary. And this is why, I don't know if you've noticed this, the preaching team has been preaching with a lot more urgency. I don't know if you've sensed the authority from this pulpit. I have every one of them. Radical claims to lean into the word of God from Pastor Marianne, Pastor Eric last week. Like, what does God want? We've been calling you to be a people of prayer. We've been calling you to be people of radical humility. And today I have three more words of wisdom I'm gonna share from Deuteronomy 11. And before I give them to you, I need to say something about the immediate context So I'm going to put up a slide that shows you the structure of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 11 is a transition chapter. It transitions us from the first section of the book, which is a speech that Moses gives to prepare the people for the heart of the book, which is 14 chapters of some 126 odd commandments and laws. And it's kind of the heart of the book. And we're going to start a mini-series next Sunday, four sermons. We're going to preach chapters 12 through 26 and four sermons. We're going to drop in and bring out the big themes for you. And so join us next week for that. We're calling it the, the good news of law or the good news of Torah. It's going to be very profound. Come back next Sunday. Read ahead. Read chapter 12. Read 13. Read 14. Get ready. But today, I am going to draw your attention to something that Moses is going to say. Moses is going to say in chapter 11, there's three more things I need to talk to you about. Three words of wisdom. And I'm going to put them on the screen so you kind of know where we're headed. Here are the words. These are not words just for Israel. These are words for River West Church. These are words for you and your neighbor. Discipline, deception, and decision. That's where we're going today. There's the verses. You can see it. I'm taking this right out of Deuteronomy. Discipline. I'm not talking about self-discipline. I'm talking about divine discipline. Discipline is the loving activity of God. Deception is the cunning strategy of God's adversary, the devil. And that means you and I have a decision to make. Who are we going to follow? Discipline, deception, and decision. We look at it with me now. Chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. 
You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules and his commandments always. And consider today, since I'm not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt and all his land. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. And what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. Moses starts and he says, consider, think about this with me, the discipline of God. Now I'm not gonna belabor this because we, this theme has come up. Marianne addressed this theme several weeks ago. So I'm just gonna focus in on uh, a couple of things about this and I'm gonna put a slide up. Here's what I want you to think about this with me. This is truth for you as a follower of Jesus, okay? And it goes like this. Discipline is the gracious intervention of a loving God. This will help you. When you go through a season of discipline, which you have and you will, and I have and I will, that is evidence of a God who loves you deeply and is intervening in your life because of his grace. You discipline people you love. And when God does it, it's always gracious because we never deserve to be the objects of his love. When he showed up and rescued Egypt from bondage to Pharaoh, that was an immense act of God's mercy and grace. You always discipline people you love. We know this, moms and dads. One of the great lies of our age is that boundaries are unloving. I need you to think with me about this for a minute. This is the lie of the ages, that saying no to someone that's saying, here's the line, that's saying there's actually a boundary that somehow that's harmful to people. Folks, that is a lie. And it's actually harming people. Several years ago, a group of landscape architects conducted a very simple study where they wanted to understand the effects of a fence around a playground. And so they did this simple study where they had the same group of preschool-aged children with the same teacher, and several days they took this group of kids to a playground that had no fence, so there was no boundary. And they just sort of watched, well, how did the kids interact? And then a couple days later, they took that same group of kids with those same teachers to a playground with fences, and they observed the behavior of the children, and this is fascinating, when the kids went to a playground with no fence, with no boundaries, no lines, it actually created fear and uncertainty. They stayed near the teacher. They weren't as creative. They didn't explore. They didn't go anywhere near the edges. 
But when they took the same group of kids to a playground with fences, those kids became courageous, creative. They explored. They went to the very edges. It freed them up knowing there's safety. There's a boundary there. I know where I can play and not play. And sometimes the kids even got in a little bit of trouble out there at the edges. I grew up at a school that had fences. And on my playground, it was at the very corner of my playground that I learned the very eye-opening game of spin the bottle. And my innocence was lost. But that's another story, okay? (laughs) Putting up boundaries is not unloving. Putting up boundaries is the greatest act of love God could give us. Amen? So I want you to look at the word discipline in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 2. Do you see that word discipline? That word can also be translated as instruction. When God disciplines, so in Proverbs, that word always shows up as instruction. When God disciplines, he doesn't discipline because he's mean. He disciplines to instruct us because he loves us. It's so important. And he uses sometimes mighty displays of his power. He shows up and he leads his people into the wilderness. He shows up and he, and, he, and he destroys the forces of evil like Pharaoh and his armies who are holding his people in bondage. And God says, sometimes those displays of my power, those are acts of discipline. So why? So that my people can watch and go, wait a minute, what are we supposed to learn from this? So let me give you a little word of advice. Don't miss out on the lessons you can learn when God shows up in your life to discipline you. They're profound. They're helpful. Have you ever been in a season where you're you're on the wrong path and God intervenes in grace and sometimes the way he intervenes is he just lets you hit the wall of reality and you realize I've been going that way and I've actually harmed my life. I've harmed my relationships. I've harmed my reputation That's a form of God's discipline. He's saying, I love you. Turn around and go the other way. And sometimes, like in this passage, he disciplines by doing things out there. I view Pharaoh and Pharaoh's armies to be an Old Testament metaphor for the way that God disciplines in our society, in our culture, by letting our secular culture run its course in whatever it thinks is wise And suddenly our culture just explodes and it's damaging and it's terrible. And God's saying, I'm just letting you do what you want to do with sexuality, with politics, with divisiveness. You just keep going that way. I'm just going to let you live your lives. It's not going to work. And the people of God can very humbly watch and go, we need to learn from this. I'll just give you one example. Let's talk for a minute about human sexuality. Let's talk about that. Would anyone in our culture say, our culture is so healthy sexually? (laughs) No one, no one thinks that. We are so sexually sick right now, aren't we? Everyone knows it. I've been reading the last few weeks a British, she's an atheist. Her name is Mary Harrington. You can go read her stuff. She wrote a piece called Losing My Faith. It's not her deconstruction faith story. She's losing her faith in the 
progressive vision of human sexuality. So if you're caught and you're, and you're, you're a Christian, but you're hearing some of the claims out there about how, how stifling uh, you know, Christian sexuality is, I wanna ask you to consider what if it's actually just the opposite? I mean, Mary Harrington is no friend of Christianity. And basically what she's arguing is, hey folks, I mean, she's trying to talk to her fellow progressives. She's saying the data is not on our side. We're actually ruining people's lives. She writes, um, the masterminds of the current sexual revolution are writing checks that they cannot possibly cash. They're making promises to people that they will never be able to fulfill. Promises like, you'll finally be happy. You'll finally get comfortable in your own skin. You'll finally be whole. If you just fill in the blank, shrug off the shackles of repressive Christian vision of sex and marriage. Reject the rigid confines of the gender binary. Just fill in the blank. Mary Harrington saying, it's not working. People's lives are being ruined. And the church is supposed to humbly watch and go, we need to learn from this. And we need to hold forward God's vision in every category. Politics, you know, the racial tension in our culture. What if you, what if you when you opened your news feed, you didn't open your news feed just to learn about what's going on. What if you open your news feed to go, what am I supposed to learn about what's happening out there so that I can humbly continue to receive God's discipline and instruction for my life as a Christian. Amen? Amen. Oh, wait, now, some of you are really smart. You're thinking, wait a minute, pastor, are you suggesting that the people of God right now are being disciplined by God? 100%. God's always disciplining us because he loves us. And anytime we get a little bit off track, he says, okay, come back over to my way. Come back to my way. In order to show that to you, I need to talk about word number two. And word number two is deception. We look at verses 13 to 16 with me. I'm gonna skip a couple verses. You can read them. Um, they repeat themes from before. But I'm gonna focus especially on verse 16. So we got discipline. Discipline is the gracious initiative, the gracious intervention of loving God. But deception is the wicked conniving strategy of God's enemy. And here's how Moses says it. Verse 13, if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, all your soul. He will give you rain for your land in its season, early rain and later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he'll give you grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full. But now look at this. But take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside to serve other gods and worship them. Be careful. Take care lest your heart be deceived. Idolatry has shown up a lot in this book, so I'm not going to talk about the idolatry piece. What I want to show you is there's something new in this verse. Look very carefully at verse 16. Verse 16 shows us the progression. It shows us the steps that take place that result in a person turning away from the living God 
and following false substitutes. So I want you to think about this. I'll put up a principle on the screen. Here's how it goes. This is just basically verse 16 summarized. People turn away from God after their heart is deceived. That's how it happens. Now look, this is heavy, this is intense. Some of you, are, you don't like what I'm saying right now. I know this is a big deal. Give me five minutes with an open mind. Let me, I'm gonna demonstrate why Moses is saying this. By the way, this is all throughout the Bible. He's saying people turn away from God after their heart is deceived. The Bible presents a very different diagnosis of unbelief than our modern secular story, which essentially says that the turn away from God is a turn to liberation. I'm free, finally, I'm free from the shackles of religion. I'm free from the ignorant, old-fashioned ways. I'm free to do whatever I want. The Bible says it's not exactly like that. No, you always are worshiping someone. And you're always giving your heart away to someone. And Moses is a very wise, gifted preacher. And he, so he says, be careful because what happens is you can start out serving the living God and then through a, a process of deception, you could get lured away so slowly that you don't even realize you're no longer following the living God. And you've wandered into idolatry. Now, here's the thing. You can't have deception without a deceiver. And folks, we have a deceiver. And he's very cunning. And he's very smart. Jesus, when he, in the longest section of teaching about the devil in John 8, you remember this, John 8, Jesus basically described Satan like this. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Some translations say he speaks his native language. The devil's native language is dishonesty. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. In other words, lying has its origins in the devil. The devil is like lying incarnate. Lying is his strategy. It's not just his hobby. Lying is actually his weapon. Have you ever thought about this? Our struggle with the devil, some people use the word spiritual warfare. It's funny, we, when we think of that, maybe we think of a physical thing. So I want you to think with me for a minute. Our struggle with the devil is a struggle over ideas. It's a struggle to ask the question, Am I discerning enough to, to sort of see that, that that idea that's been planted in my head or my newsfeed or my algorithm or the person that I've been listening to on that podcast, that idea is actually, it sounds great, but it's actually very deceptive. And what if the purpose of that idea is actually to get into my heart and start to deceive me so slowly that I don't even know that I've been wandered, I've been... I've been taken away. In his book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer devotes 
the entire first section to spiritual warfare. And in chapter three, he has a chapter, it's a brilliant title. The chapter of the title is Ideas Weaponized. And basically what he argues in that chapter is that Satan's entire strategy is to destroy God's creation. Whatever God is for, whatever Jesus is for, Satan is against it. If Jesus is for love, Satan is trying to bring hate. If Jesus is for life, Satan's trying to destroy. If Jesus is for beauty, Satan is trying to vandalize. If Jesus is for human flourishing, Satan is trying to cultivate chaos and anarchy and harm. If Jesus is for unity in the church, Satan is trying to divide us. And his weapon is not guns or ammunition or scary dreams or natural disasters. His weapon is very subtle, cunning ideas that he plants and he hopes will swallow them hook, line, and sinker. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, how careful are you about the ideas that you let into your life? How careful are you about what you're reading, who you're following on Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook? How careful are you about the people you listen to on your podcasts? How careful? Here's how John Mark Comer says it. Ideas have consequences. So John Mark says, the ideas that we believe in our minds and then let into our bodies give shape to the trajectory of our souls. Put another way, they shape how we live and who we become. When we believe truth, that is ideas that correspond to reality, ideas that correspond to who God is and his ultimate reality, we show up to reality in such a way that we flourish and thrive. We show up to our bodies. We show up to our sexuality. We show up to our interpersonal relationships. And above all, we show up to God himself in a way that is congruent with the creator's wisdom and good intentions. And as a result, things tend to go pretty well. But when we believe lies, that is ideas that are not congruent with the reality of God's wise and loving design, and then tragically open our bodies to those lies. We allow an ideological cancer to infect our souls and we live at odds with reality. And as a result, we struggle to thrive. And so how careful are you? How wise are you? You don't want to know what the scariest thing about verse 16 is? Can you just look again at your Bible? The, the most startling thing about verse 16 is that it's addressed to people who think that they're following after God. That is startling. Because Moses says, I still need to warn you. You know, the most unwise posture you could have in your life is to think, well, I'm not susceptible to deception. You know, all of us are susceptible to deception and he's very cunning. And the thing about it is, it goes like this. The lies, they're not just like random things that aren't true in our world. The devil's not going around going, hey, Christian, 
Tupac is alive. Or, you know, like French fries are a vegetable. It's like, who cares? What you, this is not what he's doing, okay? Satan is going, hey, Christian, listen. Actually, maybe Christian vision of sexuality is kind of repressive and harmful. Or, hey, Christian, maybe instead of letting Jesus sit on the throne, you should go really radical into politics on the left or the right and try to build a perfect American society that way. And then people go, well, maybe there's some truth to that. And we swallow it. And then we just start living our lives. And before long, I'm no longer following the Christ who's seated on the throne. I'm following a Christ that I've created in my own imagination because I like following him better than the actual Jesus of scripture. And so how careful are we? Now, let me get super positive for just a minute. I'm so proud of our church. Okay, I'm looking out and I see this is the most wise, godly, biblical, for the most part. There's some exceptions, but like, I'm kidding. <laughs> Listen, I'm so proud of you. And yet I have Moses saying, still, I need you to be careful. If Jesus believed in the devil, you should believe in him too. And maybe it's time to start unfollowing some people and start following a person. Now, the most amazing thing that Moses does here, no, because he says, okay, let me, give you the, let me give you the sword. Look at verse 18, because Moses says, okay, yes, be careful, but here's your weapon. Look what he says. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Moses is saying, here's the only weapon you need, the word of God. And what he says is, you can't just have it external. Don't just write it on tablets and put it in the ark. Don't just have a Bible on your shelf. Don't just show up on Sunday. You gotta take this word and it's gotta go in. And you have to memorize it and, and chew on it and soak in it. Hide it in your heart, treasure it. You know who is the perfect example of this? Jesus Christ, who when he was tempted by the devil, wisdom from God's word would just come out of his heart because he had stored it there. And so you have everything you need to fight deception. It's right here. Here's the amazing thing. Look at verse 18. When he says, these words of mine, hide them in your heart, he's actually pointing forward to what he's going to start in chapter 12 through 26, where he's going to give away all of these interesting commandments. And what Moses is saying is, even in the Old Testament, those laws, those are wisdom literature. If you meditated on that and you thought about that, you would become more and more wise. Which is why I'm asking you, come back next Sunday. We're going we're gonna to tackle chapters 12 to 26. But folks, a loving God intervenes graciously to discipline. God's enemy is at work to deceive. And that's why, now my third point, you have a decision to make. And so do I. 
So let me read out the chapter and then I'll, 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 I'll finish here. Here's what Moses says. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you today, and the curse if you decide not to obey them. And the commandments, again, he's pointing forward. But he's saying, right now, you have a decision to make. What kind of a person am I going to be? So he goes, if, if, you, if you turn away from them, that means you turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today and you go after other gods that you've not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. This was very common in uh, Hebrew teaching and, and writing. Whenever they wanted to make a big point, they would use object lessons. Moses is saying, when we get over the river, we're going to walk between two mountains. On one mountain, I'm going to put a monument that represents the blessings. And on the other mountain, I'm going to put a monument that represents the curses. And folks, we're going to walk through the middle and we're going to realize we have a decision to make. What kind of people are we going to be? Are we going to be people who go hard and full on after the God and his ways and his life of blessing? Or are we going to choose the other way? And so he says, are they not beyond the Jordan west of the road toward the going down of the south in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgal beside the Oak of Moreh? For you are to cross over the Jordan and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, be careful and do all the statutes and the rules that I'm setting before you today. This is so important. River West Church, God loves you and he's at work in your life. He has an enemy who's trying to deceive you. And friends, today's decision day. You need to decide how am I going to live my life? Now, look, there's a lot of people in here and you're thinking, I'm in. Like, I've already decided. I'm for Jesus. But in a room this size, I know for a fact, there's a lot of you who, if you're being honest, you'd probably say to me, I kind of feel like I've, I've got one foot in the church and I've got one foot in the world. That's just where I'm at. I like how C.S. Lewis said it. C.S. Lewis said, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by his enemy. And so today in love, I'm preaching and I'm not talking to your neighbor, I'm talking to you. Today's the day I want you to decide who am I going to follow? I watched a pastor one time. It was kind of gimmicky, but he tried to illustrate this by setting up two ladders on the stage. And then the ladders, the legs of the ladders were close to each other. But as you know, as you move up a ladder and he tried to walk up and it got super awkward. I was in, in my darker moment. I was hoping he might fall off and it'd be a great sermon illustration, <laughs> but that was terrible. Um, but, uh, but actually, I need to be super honest with you. The reality is there's a lot of you that you're, that's, that is a metaphor for your life. And here's the reality. 
when you, when you live in the world and you're not all in, it's not that you haven't decided. You actually have decided. You're, you're, you're over here. I don't mean to be intense. I'm just being honest with you. There's no neutral ground. You can't mix. You have decided. Jesus taught this. In John 15, Jesus, remember what he said? I'm the vine, you're the branches, and there's two kinds of branches. There's branches that are plugged in, and when they are, they're fruitful. And they're just, they're, it's not that they're amazing. It's not that they're super spiritual. It's that they're 100% tapped into me. And then there's branches that are not tapped into Christ. And those branches are not bearing fruit. Even the branches that are fruitful, sometimes you get pruned. But the, the, the interesting thing is the branches that are not fruitful, that are not tapped in, those branches, those branches get discarded. And so in love, I'm asking you today, it's time to decide. Now look, I'm not asking you to become religious. I'm not asking you to become perfect. I'm not asking you to try to be super holy. I don't care about any of that stuff. I mean, I care about the last one a little bit, but that was intense. You know what I care about? I care about you being all in for Jesus Christ. Amen? Why do I care about that? Because he is the only one in the universe who hung on a cross to pay for your sin. He was raised on the third day and he's seated on the throne of the universe and you can trust him with your life. Make a decision today. Make a decision. Amen. I'm gonna pray for you. Will you bow your heads with me and let's pray and we'll take communion. Heavenly Father, every word of this we need. We've experienced discipline, many of us. Thank you, Lord. And many of us know deception. It's there. And today's the day. Today's the day. Many of us, Lord, we are, we've, we've decided we're, we're for Christ, we're following Christ. And if that's you, be encouraged today. Grow in wisdom, stay humble let Jesus prune you. Become even more committed to the word of God. Become more committed to the gospel. Care more deeply about the reputation of Jesus. We want to care about that, Lord. We want to care about our church. But there are some here today and they've had a, a foot in the world and a foot in the church. And the, the thing is, if that's you right now, I just want you to know, I understand that you could be sitting here today with a very tender heart. And what I want you to know is a bruised reed God will never break. He's very gentle. In fact, you're not here by accident. He brought you here because he loves you so much. And today is your day. And so just decide. Jesus, I want to follow you. In fact, he not only brought you here, he died to wipe away the shame that you're carrying right now. Your broken heart, 
you could leave it at the foot of the cross today and walk out with new life and new joy in Christ. And so we pray for that, Lord God. And we love you. And we pray all these things together. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen.